Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 2, Term 3. This is Lesson 21. We are going to pick up where we left off at Luke 4.13. All right, and we had just finished looking at the temptations. I'd like to just move forward because we have so much to cover. Is that okay? All right. Let's just pick up in Luke 4.13. It says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time or until a better time. Obviously that time didn't come in the way that the devil thought. At the end of Jesus' life, he is going to think that he has, has a better time, that he has found a loophole, something is going wrong, God is allowing this, this individual to be sacrificed. Now, the question about whether he knew that Jesus was the Son of God or not, we've sort of discussed it twice already now. Um, <laughs> and uh, may I give you one more bit of information on that? When the devil said, if you are the Son of God, he used that statement and began to understand that Satan actually knew who he was. The reason why is because of all the things that happened. As I was looking back on it, I realized that there were angelic visitations. There was the visitation to Mary. There was a visitation to Elizabeth. There was the prophecies that came out. Zechariah prophesied and said that his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. There were a lot of things that started happening. And the, the, the shepherds came and visited him. The wise men brought gifts to him and worshipped him, not Mary. Remember all of those things? You know, and I was thinking, no, you know, it, taking all of that into consideration, the devil would some way, somehow would have found out about it. As much as his kingdom isn't as amazing as what we think it is, I'm sure there was enough information going back to him to let him know something was up. Are you all here? Added to all of this, there was also the incident in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when a voice from heaven came down at his baptism, remember? Saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So I'm thinking, looking at all of this, and then, of course, later on in Mark, you know, for example, um, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, when, when the demons came out screaming, you know, you are the son of God, from all of this information, it seems um, almost obvious now to me that the enemy knew who Jesus was. And so what he was doing was trying to tempt him and trying to put him on the defensive. You know, just like what he does with all of us. You know, he says, oh, are you sure you're the son of God? Are you sure you're the children of God? You know, all these things went wrong in your life. Why should they go wrong if God is your father and you're meant to have all of these abilities or, you know, all of these rights and all of these promises and everything else? You know, where is God now? You know, I'm trying to say this. He is the accuser of the brethren and he's constantly accusing us. Now, as to the scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.8, as much as the enemy knew who Jesus was... What he didn't know was what he was up to. Alright, because that's why it says here, none of the rulers of this age understood it. They didn't understand what he came to do. Alright, they could never imagine that God would die for his creation. Because the devil would never do that. The devil's always saying, you die for me. Do you understand? But God, because God is love, and God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son. Do you understand? And Jesus was saying that he was talking about himself when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Pointing to himself. Okay? And that he would die so that everybody would have eternal life. And so this is something that the enemy just couldn't understand. He couldn't comprehend that God would actually die for his creation. Besides that, he didn't know how God was going to redeem his creation either. Because as far as he was concerned, at the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, he won the battle and that was the end of it. There was no retaliation except God, annoying as he is, says somebody will come back. You know, there will come a seed from a woman that will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Remember? Okay, Genesis, I think 3.15 it is. Anyway, so except for that annoying little prophecy, <laughs> okay, uh, the devil didn't really know how this was going to happen. He didn't know whether it was going to be an armed revolution. He didn't, because remember, there is a time coming where the, the armies, the devil is going to gather up his armies. It's called Armageddon. Okay, and God's going to gather up his army and there's going to be a battle. Alright, now the devil's going to lose, obviously. Alright, but the thing is, he still didn't know what all was going on. Because all of Israel was looking for Jesus to take over the Roman government. I mean, here's a guy that can walk on water. He can turn water into wine. You know, I mean, this man can do all sorts of things. Which is why, again, you know, when we get to the place, you know, when we're talking about Judas, we'll look at some different things about why he might have done what he did. You know, he, 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 I don't think he really was um, out to betray Jesus as such. If he was, he wouldn't have gone and hung himself. Do you know what I'm trying to say? As much as he did the wrong thing, I think he was looking for something. I think he was looking to force Jesus' hand. Because Jesus is all about love, man. You know, and, and Judas is like, come on, man, get on with it. You know, go kill a few soldiers. Get rid of the government. You know, let's get back on top. Because they were all looking for a king, a ruler like David. Because David had peace in his time by conquering everybody. <laughs> Do you understand? When you conquer everybody, it's cool. Everybody's, you know, like, yes, sir. Anything you say, sir. You know, and they were so looking forward to that. But Jesus came preaching a whole other gospel, which totally confused them and perplexed them. And some of them weren't so happy with that. And we're going to see a lot of that as we go along as well. All right. So Satan knew who Jesus was. Satan could not comprehend what Jesus would do to redeem his creation. And so had he known that he was here to pay a price... He would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Do you understand? It would never have happened. He would have just left him alone. But you know, that's what the devil always does. You know, he plays right into God's hands. God is so smart. That's why we need to be smart like God. We need to just allow the Spirit to lead us and not fight every decision and everything that the Spirit tells you to do. Even if some of those things go against your grain, you just need to do what you need to do. And some days, walking in love is the greatest battle that you will face. Some days you just want to call out a whole legion of angels from heaven, let's kill everybody, and we're good. <laughs> okay? And God says, no, love them all. We're trying to save all of them, you understand. Okay? We don't want anybody to go to hell. Alright, now getting back to Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Again, it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In his commentary, William Hendrickson says that the devil must have realized that he had been thoroughly defeated. This made him all the more angry. 
more than ever, therefore, he was determined to attack Jesus and his cause. Alright? And you need to understand both of those things. Alright? Remember, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil? That was his purpose. Basically, once again, he was determined, the devil was determined to attack Jesus and his cause, and to do this at, at the very earliest opportunity. And we see evidence of this in Matthew chapter 16, where it says in verses 21 through 23, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. See, Jesus told them, I'll die, but I'll come back. They never quite got that. Do you understand? For them, dead was dead. You know, if you're dead, listen Jesus, we get it that you can raise the dead, but when you're dead, who's going to raise you? You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> Do you understand? You know, there's nobody here that got the faith to raise you up. As much as you want us to. Okay? So you're kind of on your own there. So please don't die. Is what they're thinking. Don't die. It's great and all to say you'll be back, but don't die. We're not sure about this. <laughs> okay. Verse 22, and it says, Then Peter took him aside. Now he watched, you know, Peter, always talking for the group. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is going, what is wrong with you? That is called a rebuke. Okay, alright. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. He's saying, this is not happening to you. You know, like somebody would say today. This is not happening. Are you all with me? Okay. Oh, Pete's going to get a response he didn't figure out on. <laughs> but he, that's Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Ouch. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we're going to look at all of that when we get to it. Today's not the day. <laughs> as much as we'd like to. Alright? But notice again here, Satan would use everything at his disposal to try and stop Jesus from doing what he was called to do. From his mission. Do you understand? So again, this is why I'm saying there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of, I'm not sure what he's up to, but let's not go do that. Because it's sounding like he's going to die and come back. I don't know how he's going to come back. But you know, we're talking about God and we've run into this before. Remember when he tried to take over the throne of God? Do you understand? Satan has run into all kinds of problems with God. And it, you know, I think he has enough experience on one hand to know that God can pull an ace out of his sleeve somewhere. But on the other hand, there's the arrogance that continually overrides everything and says, yeah, but I can still overcome him. Which is what caused him to go against God to begin with. We looked at all of that in our first series. Do you understand? Amen? So that's the reason why sometimes, you know, you, you are dealing with a conflicted being. That's why when you are in the spirit and in the flow with God there, you'll find that your thoughts are very clear. You're very single-minded, if I could put it that way. When, when the devil starts talking to you, you'll become double-minded. Because he's double-minded. Okay, do you understand? He is in confusion half the time. He doesn't know whether he's Arthur or Martha. He doesn't know whether he wants to do this. He thinks if he does this, then that might be a real problem. He goes, yeah, 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 but I can overcome it. And you know, it's just he's constantly backwards and forwards. And you need to be aware of that. There is no peace in him. Did you get that? Okay, he is a, a being that is constantly in turmoil. Whereas whenever you get in God, everything settles. You become calm, you become focused. There is a peace and a joy that follows then that gives you strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But it doesn't come until you get the peace of God first. 
Okay, now let's get back to this. In relation to the temptations of Christ, the Full Life Study Bible asks, What can we learn from the temptation of Christ? First, Satan is our greatest enemy. As Christians, we must be aware that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare with unseen but very real powers of evil. Okay, this is from Ephesians 6.12. Second, without the Holy Spirit and the proper use of God's Word, the Christian cannot overcome sin and temptation. So, the two things that we learn here, first of all, is that we have an enemy. Amen? Second, we're in warfare. That's what Ephesians 6 is all about. Put on the whole armor of God. Sometimes people don't want to acknowledge the devil is there. Sweetheart, acknowledge him and put your armor on. He's not all big if you've got your armor on. Alright? We can see the effects of the devil in this world for all the destruction and all the things that are going on. We know he is very real. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? You know, sometimes I think we dismiss him too much. Alright? Be aware that he is there. But don't focus all your thoughts on him. Do, do, do you understand the duality of what I'm talking about? Okay? So you need to be aware of him in order to stop him but don't be one of those people that looks for a devil under every rock. <laughs> Do you understand? And you know, you're, you're, everything is a demon, everything is a devil, everything is, you know, you can't do that. Alright? Because wherever there's a devil, there's two angels standing there too. So if you're going to look into the supernatural, look in all the way through into the supernatural. Acknowledge both sides. Acknowledge what Elijah said to his little servant when he was freaking out. He said, there's more with us. Amen? Remember his little servant opens his eyes and he's like, Whoo, the whole mountain around Elisha was filled with chariots of fire. Alright, so the second thing is, notice he says that without the Holy Spirit and the proper use of, the word, of God's word. Remember, you need to know it is also written. Because the devil will come up with, oh, it is written. And he really trips Christians up with that first it is written. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not enough to know it is written you need to know context, you need to know where it was written, and you need to know, but it is also written. Because that written doesn't relate to this. There's another thing that relates to this, and that's the also written. Do you all hear what I'm saying? Okay. Alright. So he says again, without the Holy Spirit and the proper use of God's word, the Christian cannot overcome sin and temptation. To clarify, William MacDonald points out in his commentary, from the temptations of Jesus, we learn that the devil can attack... Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Remember that? Before He was led into the wilderness. Remember all of that? Okay, that He was actually led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Remember again, He went into battle. He wasn't some poor little thing that got dragged out there and left. And God walked off. Like, give me a break. I think it's interesting the way Jesus went out there. Fasted for 40 days. You know, unlike Adam, who had plenty to eat all the time and still messed up. He said, I'll go without food for 40 days and you give it your best shot and see how far you get. Remember that? Amen? And I mean, he just whooped the devil. And I believe that was the point in time when shockwaves went all the way through hell. Our leader has been defeated. There has come one that not only overcame that first temptation, the other one just failed the first time around. Remember? He says, you know, it's good to eat, eat it. This time Jesus is hungry. This one has been fasting for 40 days. And he says, turn that stone into bread. You know he can do it? And he goes, no. 
And this would have been one of those times when, yeah, would have been a good thing to do, you know what I'm saying? Okay, but he said, no. You know, just because you asked, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Basically what, the de- what Jesus said to the devil. <laughs> Let's get back to this. We need to understand that being filled with the Spirit isn't enough. Alright, this is what I want to bring. The next statement I make will clarify this. Even though the Holy Spirit in you gives you the power to stand against the devil, it is the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, that allows you to defeat him. So, being filled with the Spirit isn't be all to end all. You know, that isn't everything. That gives you power. That's why Jesus said, wait until you are filled or endowed with power. You you need that power. But sweetheart, you also need the Word. You need to know what to do with that power and how to direct it. Amen? And if you don't know how to do that, then you know what? Today, just let me sidetrack for a minute. That's the difference between, say, a lot of traditional Christians, I'll use the word traditional, all right, and the charismatic Christians. Okay? There are the traditional Christians, they sort of don't know about the Holy Spirit too much, and so they don't have that power. So, you know, it's very difficult for them on a lot of levels. Then there's the charismatics. Or as some people call them the charismatics. okay? They, they got filled with the Spirit and they're like, Woo, we like the music, we like the anointing, we like this, we like that. But they're dead in the brain. You know, any scripture, you can quote any scripture to them. And they're like, oh yeah, that's Jesus, that's Jesus. Could read in the devil. They really don't know to say it is also written. Do you all hear what I'm saying? What God is looking for is somebody that's Spirit filled that also has a brain. Okay, that knows the Word of God, that has taken time. See, it takes a moment to be Spirit-filled, but it takes a lifetime to learn the Word of God. Hear what I'm saying. So many just want that really, you know, let's just quickly get filled with the Spirit, and let's just enjoy this ride now. Sweetie, you can't enjoy the ride, because the devil will come and just keep toppling your car every chance he gets. And you might have the joy of the Lord, but sheesh, all your wheels have fallen off. Okay, things aren't working the way they should. And if your card isn't working, you can't help fix somebody else's. You know know what I'm trying to say? Amen. Can I just say this? Your prayer, a lot of times when I read, you know, commentaries and stuff, you know, they talk about, you know, you need the Spirit, you need the Spirit to pray. But you know what? They sometimes miss out the fact that you also need the Word. Okay? Yes, the Spirit is wonderful. And absolutely, yes, you need the Spirit. You can't have the Word and not the Spirit. Do you understand? You need the Spirit because that's your power, that's your energy, that's all the stuff, that, that's, that's your guidance. But He can only guide you in what you know. If you don't know, then you don't know. And He's standing there going, Oh, it's a great scripture, but no, you didn't take a minute to learn that, did you? No. Okay, so we just have to stand here and just go through it now. Amen? And that's what happens to a lot of Christians. And so you get this doctrine of suffering. You know, God helped me through it. It was hard, and it was difficult. But you know, I was being tested and tried, and and God just gave me the strength to go through it. How many have heard that? Can you see the difference now? Sweetie, yes, God gave you the strength, but He much rather you speak the word and shut it down. You didn't have to go through it. The lesson that you learned wasn't that, okay, there are times, you know, that the devil will come sometimes and that God will help you through everything. That's the wrong lesson. The lesson is, let him come, beat him down. You got the spirit, you got the word, that's all you need. End of story. Amen? Moving on. All right. Leon Morris writes, 
Throughout these temptations, no special resource, listen to this, is open to Jesus. He met temptation in the same way as we must, by using Scripture. And He won the victory. Did you get that? Okay, He didn't have anything special going for Him. And whatever He had going for Him, you have going for you. Now, although Luke's Gospel concludes with the devil departing, looking for a more opportune time, Matthew's Gospel actually goes on to say in Matthew 4.11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now you might think, okay, let's move on, but wait, don't. Alright, what's significant about this is that here we see that, first of all, the very thing that Satan tried to twist in the second temptation, remember he said, jump off, okay, throw yourself off of this, angels will bear you up. The very thing that Satan tried to twist in the second temptation is being fulfilled in God's way and in God's perfect time now. Alright? Even though it's not specified how the angels actually ministered to him, let me give you some of these things, alright? Since Jesus' last temptation took place on an exceedingly high mountain, Mount Everest would be exceedingly high. And following the devil's utter defeat, we can only imagine that Jesus would have been simply left there. And that the angels most probably were instrumental in his descent back down. Remember, that's what they were meant to do anyway. If he jumped off a cliff, that's what they were meant to do. But guess what? He didn't. Now that he's won all of this, now they can minister to him. The door is open for all of that to work now. Are you getting this? Alright. As well as ministering to his physical nourishment. You remember he's hungry as well. Okay? Which the Lord resisted in the first temptation. So, what we can gather from all of this, because he comes back, when he comes back, he's not starving. He's rested and he's ready to go. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is what the angels' ministry is today to us. They are not there so that we can prove we're children of God. They are there if the devil attacks you and he does something to you. They are there to defend you. They are there to do whatever you need done for you. Not to prove anything. That's their job. Do you get the difference? Because if when you're proving something, then the devil is dictating how you're running your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? Alright, so if the devil came and said, Oh, go on, turn that into bread. Let's have a look to see if you can do that or not. You're listening to all this faith stuff, you know, that Pastor Roche is carrying on about all sorts of stuff. Go on, give it a shot. Don't go there. There's no need. That's playing games. That's the devil. That's not happening. And if you allow that to happen, then when you really need help, you won't believe. That's what he's trying to do. But when you need something... They're there. They're going, ask now. And that's when we don't ask. You know what we do instead? Complain. We go, God, why did this happen? Where are you? As we have a little joke, inside joke in the family, where's the loyalty? (laughs) You all hear what I'm saying? You know, and when we go off on that, when the, the angels are going, now ask. We'll turn whatever you want into whatever. Now it's the time. But no, no, you got to go whine about something. You know when you whine about God, you think they're going to do anything about that? (laughs) No. They work for Him. They work for the man, you know. They can't do anything when you're complaining. Hear what I'm saying? See, Jesus could have complained or He could have said, Alright, we're done. It's finished now. He's defeated. Amen? And I reckon He got fed. He got taken down from the mountain. That one little verse... 
has so much to it. You see this now? Don't ever look over a verse like that. All right, I hope you're getting an understanding of all of this now and beginning to understand why I don't want to rush through some of this stuff because you, know, you begin to see this and you begin to see what is available to you. All right, so that concludes the temptation of Christ and his overwhelming victory over Satan. And I've actually, let me just add this, I've already given you the scripture. And in fact, it would set the tone for all future encounters with the enemy, with the Lord defeating him at every turn with the word. And that's what he did. All right, and the Apostle John going to say again in 1 John chapter 3, in the latter half of verse 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. He came here to exactly do that, damage his kingdom. Amen. And let's start the next section. Now, following Christ's surpassing victory in the wilderness, as mentioned earlier, chronologically speaking, we would go on to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, where the Jews and Pharisees sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to question John the Baptist, to determine whether or not he was the Christ. Now, we covered all of that because we did that when we were looking at John. Remember when we were looking at John? Okay. All right. And it is... In relation to this encounter, which would have taken place on or about the last day of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So while Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, all right, that's when all of that would have happened. When the Pharisees came and said, who are you? Are you the Christ? Remember how he, <laughs> he just played with them? He said, no. And he goes, are you this? No. And, and John was just like that. He was just, just no. He goes, well, what do you have to say? <laughs> you know, finally they ask him. Anyway. And remember, he said, I'm, I'm a voice. Yep, crying out in the wilderness. Remember all that stuff? Okay, all that was good stuff. We're on to the life of Jesus now, okay? We're into him, so we need to focus there. So, now we, we're at the place, we pick it up here in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the understanding was, this is God's very own provision. Who takes away, or literally, and I'll explain this in a minute, Taking away the sin of the world. It isn't just takes away, but it is a continuing action. Alright? So, William Hendrickson points out that this lamb was taking away sin throughout his entire earthly life. Not just at the cross. Did you get that? So, that's what he did. Remember when he went and remember the, the guy that was dropped down through the roof? Remember that? Okay? What's the first thing he said? Your sins are forgiven. He was taking away the sin of the world constantly. And the Pharisees are going nuts over it. And he's, he was there to do that. It was the thing that damaged all of mankind right from the beginning. And he was there to reverse the whole thing. Amen? And so this is why this statement means a lot more now when you look at it. When he says, here is the Lamb of God. And he's not going to do a one-time thing. It's going to be continual from now on. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm very excited. All right. Notice also the singular, and we'll stop after this because we need to stop. Notice also the singular, sin, not sins. With D.A. Carson writing, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That is, of all human beings, without distinction and without exception. Remember the Roman centurion, Matthew 8, 5, whose faith Jesus marveled at and said in verse 10, that he had not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Remember that? Yeah. Amen? He was there to take everybody's sin. This is God's provision. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Let's take a break. And we'll come back and look at what Arkentius said after the break. <laughs> 